Okay. Anyway, as you can see behind me, my message title this morning is Righteous Living. Who's looking forward to this? Who likes a lecture about righteous living? Because whenever that, whenever those words come up on a screen, I think there are two basic response from pe- responses from people. The first is, right, oh, this is going to be good. There are some people I know in this church who need this talk because I know what they're living like and their living is not righteous and they need to kick up the bum and they need to hear what Pastor Chris is going to preach to them this morning. So there's those people. None of them are here, of course. Um, and then there's the other people who... who Sit there glumly thinking, oh God, he's going to remind me of all, the, uh, all my shortcomings, all the standards I've let go, all the things that I do wrong, all the reasons why God doesn't love me. And I'm going to crawl out of church this morning feel guilt, feeling guilty that I cannot live up to God's expectations for righteous living. And let me tell you, if you fall into either of those camps, shame on you. <laughs> because that is not what righteous living is actually about righteousness. The word righteousness, when we apply it in a Christian sense, actually means to be in right standing with God. And we do that. Mark, uh, no, Romans chapter 4, verse 24, tells us about righteousness. It says, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we do the right thing. No, we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of your sins. Well, it says our sins, I think. But it says he was raised to life to make us right with God. That's the righteousness we're after. I mean, who's a parent here? Lucy, you've got young Abigail there. Um, Tell me how long the list of rules that she has to follow is that you have on her bedroom wall. Um. Very, very, see, that, so do you, you use those to communicate with Abigail all the time? You, you just plonk her in front of her and say, read these rules and we'll be right. I bet you there's actually a lot more of, oh, you're a little cutie. <laughs> and then, you know, Kirsty, no, Georgia. I mean, Willow's a little bit older than Abigail and so she understands a bit more, but how long's the list of rules you've got next to her bed? <laughs> should be there, but it's not because how, how, do, how do you communicate what you want to Willow? And we talk, we communicate. James, you know, you're, he's at school. I assume there probably is a bit of a list of rules. <laughs> well, okay, but oh, but do you do you ever talk to James? Does he ever talk back? <laughs> I mean, parents and their children communicate with one another by being in each other's faces and talking and communicating with each other. And you sort of think, if God wants us to be righteous, what does he want us to do? Well, listen to him and talk to him and be, be in constant communication. Has anybody here heard of the Asbury Revival? Anybody not know what it is? Me neither until I looked it up. Um, it's basically uh, Asbury University is a place in Kentucky where on the 8th of February, I think it was, this year, uh, a group of students who stayed back after chapel uh, started praying. And that prayer meeting lasted for two weeks. And 50,000 people came from all across the US to actually join in 
that prayer meeting. And it was interesting that the key focus of this outpouring was that students just felt God's presence. They kept praying, it kept going, and it spread. That was really all there was to it. And it's interesting that they had some people come with shofars to try and herald the new king. You know what a shofar is? Big ram's horn. Some people came to preach against gay marriage. Somebody even came to hold an exorcism. And some people began to pray really loudly and aggressively to interrupt proceedings. Guess what? They were all asked to leave. They started having testimonies of people coming up and, and saying what God had done while they were in that prayer meeting. Guess what they did? They vetted everybody who wanted to speak on the microphone, and when they came up, they were not allowed to hold the microphone. Yes! Because the whole concept of what was, what was happening at Asbury was the fact that the only celebrity there was Jesus Christ. They didn't accept people who were coming to blow their own horn, figuratively or not, <laughs> or to make themselves look important because of what God was doing. It was actually just a move where these students communicated with God and he was there until it finished. And the interesting thing was, if you, if you read the story, the administrators of the university had to get together and formalize what was going on. Because 50,000 people coming into a small Kentucky university was a bit of a logistical nightmare. And so they had, they had organized food, shelter. They had to make sure that everybody who came got, got some time in the presence of God. But it was, was a really interesting communication time between God's people and God. And so... Of course, the revival finished after two weeks, and since then, the internet has exploded with ideas about what went on, whether it was theologically right, whether it was of God, whether it was of the devil, whether, I mean, the, the people just went berserk. And, and really, it doesn't matter where, where you stand on this. What is obvious from this is that there was a unique opportunity for God's people to connect with God. It was something new. It was something different. That sort of thing scares people, excites some people, and it always invites controversy. But the, the, the fascinating thing about it is we, we need to ask ourselves, how are we here in Nord to respond to such an event if we knew it was happening? We can ask questions like, why did it happen? Is it likely to happen here? And do we want it to happen here? Now, you might not have thought of these questions. But the thing is that, do we want to connect with God? Are we open to connecting with God in a new and different way? Because that's all that happened. It's no good us going to Asbury and saying, well, what exactly did you do? It was a group of students sitting in the corner of a chapel praying. Well, okay, how about I pick a few of you, and we'll sit in the corner here and we'll pray and see what happens. We're not called to, I don't think, to copy the forms of what went on. It's, a, it's an indication to me that in the world, God has started to open up new ways of connection. 
And if he's opening up new ways, we, 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 I believe, should say, well, let's, let's open ourselves up to new ways of having God connect with us. We don't know whether they're going to look the same or not, but we've just got to be open to it. And there's biblical precedent for this. I'm actually going to read you some scriptures which actually point to this idea that, that even Jesus himself accepted new things that were pretty much thrust upon him. And it's here in Mark's Gospel, and it often gets overlooked in terms of its actual groundbreaking interaction. And I'll read the whole passage, and then we'll just talk a little bit about it, and then we'll actually put something into practice. I'm going to get the band back up here, and we're actually going to take some time to open ourselves up to connecting with God. In Mark 5.25, it says, A woman in the crowd, so Jesus is walking along, he's being followed by this huge crowd, and it says, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, quacks. And over the years, she'd spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she'd gotten worse. She'd heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, Look at this crowd pressing around us. How can you ask, Who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Now that, that's a great little miracle. We can then pass on, because that's, that's the sidetrack I talked about earlier in the middle of the story of Jairus and his daughter. In fact, Jesus got so sidetracked with the woman who touched his robe that Jairus' daughter died. And he had to go and actually not just heal her, but raise her again from the dead. But this story changed everything about Jesus' ministry. Because this woman, she was like us. She was doing things in the world. She, was, she had an illness, she was going to doctors, nothing wrong with that, except the doctors she was going to were obviously no good. She was out there in the crowd. She was ritually impure because of her bleeding. Now, we have to, we have to, have to be a bit careful here because our modern interpretation of unclean and impure means that there was something wrong with her. She wasn't looked at as though she was a leper or, or, or something. But in terms of the temple procedures, anybody who was bleeding was not allowed to go to the temple. You were ritually impure. If you bled, you had to stay outside of the temple for seven days and then you could be cleansed and go in. didn't mean there was anything wrong with you. In fact, there's a, there's a precedent in the Old Testament where people complained that if they were impure on the day of Passover, how could they celebrate Passover? Because they weren't in, allowed inside the camp to celebrate Passover, which was the most important feast of the Jewish calendar. And so guess what? God made an exception. He said, if you're in, uh, impure on the day of Passover, celebrate Passover on another day. <laughs> Mind blown. God's flexible. Yahweh said, oh, that's fair enough. Yeah, celebrate it another day. And so here we've got, she, this, she's not, 
being outcast, but she, she can't actually enjoy church because the, the Jewish faith made it such that she couldn't come to church. And so she was separated from God. She was separated from people. She was sick and she was broke. She'd spent all her money. Anybody relate to being broke and sick and sometimes feeling a bit on the outer? This woman is us. And so she decided that she was going to touch his robe and that she would be healed. Who told her that? Let me tell you, there is no incident whatsoever before that time of anybody being healed touching Jesus' robe. To be healed, you've got to become like Jairus and lay hands on you or pray for you. So where did she come up with this wild idea? Yeah, if I, if I go and touch his robe, I'm going to be healed. Where did that come from? Plus the fact she was out alone. She wasn't allowed to go anywhere near another man that she wasn't part of her family without a male chaperone. So she was living on the edge. She was, so she snuck up behind him. She wasn't going to appear in full view because she knew that, knew that she was going to get tossed out. And she reached out and touched the hem of his robe. Did he give her permission to touch the hem of his robe? No. She was instantly healed and he detected that healing power had gone out of him. He was blindsided. It was like Survivor. <laughs> and so he says, who did that? Of course, the disciples would laugh, like, <laughs> pick one. But he got her to admit what she had done because he wanted people to see what she had done. Because... This was something new. Nobody else had touched his robe and been healed. And he said, not your crazy idea has made you well, but your faith. The faith that she'd heard of Jesus realized that, that he, was, he was the son of God. He could, even if she could get close enough just to touch him, to do something different that nobody else had ever thought of, she could be healed. And guess what happened? She was healed. But look what happens if we go further in Mark to Mark chapter 6 and verse 56, Whenever, wherever he went, in villages, city or the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplace. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe and all that touched them were healed. That had never happened before, but she ushered in a new way of connecting with Jesus. It wasn't normal. It wasn't well thought out. It was impulsive. But it changed the way people saw Jesus. It changed the way that people saw their ability to get healed. It was a new way to touch and connect with Jesus. You see, I don't think God is holding back when it comes to connecting with us. Which only leaves one alternative. <laughs> Must be us that's holding back. And so I think we need to take a, a lesson from this. And while I'm finishing up, if I can get the band back up here. We need to look at ourselves and say, are we desperate to connect with Jesus? Are we prepared to forego community comfort to get close to Jesus? Are we prepared to take a risk? Because that, she took a huge risk. And she was desperate to have something happen. But we let our problems get in the way. All sorts of roadblocks that we have to connect with Jesus, busy lifestyles, 
Can you imagine if we started a prayer group that went for two weeks? How many people would have to say, well, I've got to work. I, I couldn't possibly come to one of those to look after the kids. I'm, I'm too busy. I, I, I can't get here. I haven't got a car. Um, I, I don't like crowds. Um, I feel, I'd feel embarrassed. What would my family say? Or just that, no, I couldn't join a prayer meeting like that. I, God doesn't. God doesn't love me in that way. He would never allow me to be part of that. I'm not holy. Join the club. But she wasn't holy. She, she didn't even believe in Jesus. She just heard about him. But she took a risk. Sometimes I think we need to put these things aside and just push on and push in. After all, Jesus died because of our sins, but he was raised to life to make us right with God. Events like Asbury open the door to fresh and new ways of connecting with God, just like the woman in Mark 4. We don't want to copy what's happened just so that we can experience a touch from God. We want to see God touch our lives in such a way, just like the desperate woman that brings a real change because she experienced full healing. It wasn't just the warm, fuzzy feeling. It wasn't just the ability to say, sat in God's presence for two weeks. It was really nice. There was a change in her life. How do we experience change in our lives? We've got to start somewhere by doing something. Let's stand. We can't manufacture connection with God. But we can open ourselves to new ways for God to speak into our lives, for God to touch us, for God to heal us, for God to enable us. And so I want us to do that right now. I'm going to invite the, the band just to start playing some worship music. And I want us to let down our barriers, our guard, our embarrassment, our fear, our sense of unworthiness. And I want us to reach out for Jesus' cloak. Now, she took a step of faith. And so well, I invite you to do the same. This morning, this altar's open. If, you, if the altar fills up and you can't get to it, just step out of your seat into the aisle. But we need to take a step. We need to actually move towards Jesus so that we can touch his robe. I don't know what will happen. But unless we open ourselves up to the possibility, I know what won't happen. So let's take our courage in our hands this morning. Let's open our hearts to God and let's take that step and reach out to touch his robe. Thanks, guys. Let's, let's just worship.